Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The History Channel original podcast. If there's one snack that's iconically American, it's the potato chip. I think what makes potato chips so crave-worthy is they have just a great crunch and that nice salty flavor. Valerie Lomas is the author of Life is What You Bake It. So often you're not eating potato chips by themselves. You're eating it with a sandwich. You're having it with a cup of soda. You're having it with something else. And I think it's really that crunch and the salty flavor that just pairs so perfectly with everything. Birthday parties, baseball games, backyard barbecues, name a celebration, you find a bag of chips. But there's one kind of chip that has always stood apart from the others. Well, really stacked apart from the others. Once you pop, the fun don't stop. Pringles were sort of this ingenious invention that you could seal it closed and it would stay fresh. Joanna Saltz is editorial director at Delish.com and House Beautiful. It's actually built so that they won't break. And then with the can wrapped around it, the entire container plus the chips inside are sort of safe from, frankly, the apocalypse. While many of us know and love Pringles today, when the newfangled chip came out in the late 1960s, it was almost a radical idea. So how exactly did a potato chip become unbreakable? And what does math have to do with making chips? This is The Food That Built America, stories of innovation, taste, and good eats. Today, we'll take you back to the 1950s and follow how Pringles became the first unbreakable potato chip that wasn't quite a potato chip. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. Even back in the 50s, people loved their chips. And the original potato chips were fairly straightforward, says Alan Richer, potato chip historian. Well, the original potato chip was basically made by taking a razor and cutting off a piece of potato and putting it in lard and deep frying it and adding salt. It was that simple. You basically ate them in a restaurant initially or later on they were served in a barrel or in a, in a glass container and you would scoop them out and take them home and eat them. Potato chips were one of the most profitable products on the market, a success driven by Herman Lay, you know, of Lay's chips. But believe it or not, back then, Lay's were still a regional product. This is Dirk Berhans, author of Crunch, a history of the great American potato chip. It's hard to believe it now, but there wasn't a single potato chip that you could get in all 50 states. Chips were a product ripe for mass manufacturing. And who better to revolutionize the potato chip than the company behind Crest Toothpaste and Tide Detergent? That's Procter & Gamble. Yeah, that wasn't my first guess either. In the 1950s, Procter & Gamble was a growing national conglomerate offering iconic brands like Ivory Soap, Crest, and of course, Tide. The cleanest clean under the sun is Tide Clean, new Tide Clean. 
And for only the second time in the company's 120-year history, their president didn't have the last name Proctor or Gamble. His name was Neil McElroy. And instead of detergent, he had chips on his mind. Dirk again. In the post-war time, you still have a lot of growth in potato chips. So uh, it's an exciting growth opportunity uh, for somebody like Procter & Gamble. It was an environment where you could take a risk, could try something out, could try something new and make a living from it. McElroy saw an opportunity to make a product that could dominate the market in the whole country. And it was a time when science and innovation were moving at lightning speed. We're coming up into the space age. So all this scientific stuff is really fascinating to people. They don't mind additives in the food. They don't even consider it. So you get a company like Procter & Gamble, where you have a lot of engineers on board. They can find a fascinating new way to create a potato chip. And that was exactly what the company, under McElroy's leadership, set out to do. And I think he was probably not looking for evolutionary change, but more of a revolutionary change. Remember, this is a company that was known for making soap and cleaning products. So how exactly were they going to revolutionize the potato chip? Well, they had a hunch that chips, while already beloved by Americans, could be even better, says Alan. They did some research and they found out that some of the biggest concerns about the potato chip was the fact that it really wasn't uniform. It broke easily and people always wondered whether they were getting um, what they paid for. They've made so many products. They've made Tide. And you know what? They decided, hey, there is no perfect potato chip. When we get a bag of potato chips, some are broken, some are whole. And they wanted a way to get a really consistent potato chip. Broken chips, half-empty bags. These are, much to my chagrin, still issues with chips today. And back then, McElroy was determined to solve it. He knew he needed someone brilliant to help him shake up the chip industry. Someone who thought out of the box. Someone who knew chemistry? Fred Bauer was a chemist, and he didn't really have much experience with the food industry. And I can only surmise that McElroy felt that sometimes it's better to have somebody who isn't going to know all the stumbling blocks, who hasn't been in the industry, particularly if you're trying to create a revolutionary new product. Bauer was brought into the CHIP project in 1956. And his task? Scientifically engineer a new breakage-resistant potato chip, one that was uniform in size, taste, and texture. Fred Bauer's job was to try to develop a new potato chip that would be not breakable, it would be stackable, could be put in a container that wouldn't have a lot of air, so people felt that they were buying something that they got a full value of their money for. But there was one little issue. Potato chips were fundamentally the same since they had been invented. A deep-fried slice of potato with some salt. It was tried and true. And with so few ingredients, there really isn't much wiggle room to try something new. But Bauer approached it like a science experiment. It started by breaking down the potato chips into dehydrated flakes and mixing them up. The mixture was then rolled out into a super-thin layer and then cut into an oval shape and fried. Here's Valerie Lomas. They took dehydrated potato flakes and smashed them into a shape and rehydrated them and baked them. He was deconstructing the chip into its basic elements and reconstructing those elements into something entirely brand new. And that's how we got Pringles. 
Pringles were not necessarily made from traditionally slicing a potato. They were basically made by taking dehydrated potato bits and then formatting them into the shape that you wanted to have. So the final product was a chip, sure. But the process to make it was nothing like most chips. And while the team was working hard to perfect the formula, McElroy got a call from the president. It wasn't about potato chips. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. President Dwight D. Eisenhower tapped McElroy to succeed General Motors CEO Charles Wilson as the Secretary of Defense. It was a time where Sputnik was launched by the Russians and the Americans were concerned they were going to lose the space race. For McElroy, it came down to building the best potato chip or keeping the country safe at the height of the Cold War. You can probably guess which one he chose. The space race beat out the race to taste. McElroy agreed to a two-year term, taking a leave of absence from Procter & Gamble to serve his country. That is quite a career pivot there. But McElroy seemed fit for the job, considering his background in management. As the Secretary of Defense, McElroy sped up the development of America's own space program and strategically deployed weapons globally to defend against enemies. One of the things that happened under McElroy's tenure was NASA began. He also did a lot of work for developing intercontinental ballistic missiles, placed a lot of them in Europe. He also helped create what would later become DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, an organization that would soon launch America's first lunar probes. While McElroy was busy defending the country, P&G chemist Fred Bauer continued working away on the new chip. He was trying to find a shape that was hard to break, and he found the answer in an unexpected place. A man named Dr. Paul Herget. He was a mathematician. He was one of the first people who actually created programs so that computers could be used for scientific purposes, and he studied orbits. Herget was director of the Cincinnati Observatory. And he would walk to work every single day. And on the way, he met somebody who was on the Procter & Gamble's team. And this person was explaining some of the challenges. So Dr. Herget was the one who uh, suggested the saddle shape for the Pringle. And so, in a sense, this particular shape was somewhat of an orbit. The shape was a hyperbolic paraboloid. 
Yeah, try saying that three times over. And that is basically a geometric figure for math, and it's really like a saddle, shape of a saddle. The reason that the saddle shape is so useful is it's, from a physical point of view, there's at least amount of stress. So if you were gonna stack them, the likelihood of breakage is gonna be minimal compared to other types of geometric figures. The hyperbolic paraboloid is concave along one axis and convex along the other. The shape creates a chip that's sturdy, stackable, and perfectly uniform. Bauer had developed a new formula and shape for the chip, but the taste needed some work. Even though he came up with the chip and the texture was okay, it didn't taste right. So he was pulled off the project after a couple of years. Bauer was out. And without McElroy to defend it, the project was shuttered. But McElroy hadn't exactly forgotten about his passion project. In 1959, after two years as Secretary of Defense, he resigned from the Pentagon and returned to P&G. He came back, he was sort of a national hero to the board at Procter & Gamble. Even after two years of managing America's national defense, McElroy's ambitions returned to reinventing the potato chip. And that experience working for President Eisenhower may have helped in that quest. I think after running something like the U.S. Defense Department, he understood the challenges of bureaucracy and how to try to get things done to make them more efficient. With Bauer gone, McElroy needed someone new. He brought in an Army veteran and food science specialist, Alexander Lipa. And so Lipa was basically tasked with developing a flavor that would be more acceptable to the palate. After experimenting with levels of salt, fat, and sugar in the recipe, Lipa landed on a recipe with a unique and savory flavor. It was dubbed the Pringle, rumored to be named after the street in suburban Cincinnati that some P&G advertising employees lived on. And it wasn't your regular potato chip. Not only was it formulated differently, the package was different too. A tube-shaped can with a resealable plastic lid. Something Bauer had also tinkered with before his departure. A world away from the traditional chip bag. I think that a lot of times people compare it to a tennis ball container. You can't really disassociate the Pringles product itself from the container. The container was just as revolutionary as the, as the Pringles themselves. The can did the trick. It was sturdy and easily portable. The Pringles can basically had a, a couple of functions, and the, the key thing behind them was to avoid breakage, try to stack them so that they were compressed, and um, avoid having to put air in there, plus also, you know, to make it resealable and make it something that could stand on its own, literally. Joanna Saul says it was a revelation. Chips in a bag are always so incredibly messy. You know, there's no way to seal it up. You got the chip clip, you do your best. But Pringles were sort of this ingenious invention that you could seal it closed, it would stay fresh. When we were growing up, we always took Pringles to the beach because there's nothing worse than getting sand in your snacks. The can plus the sturdy chip made for an unbreakable design. You can do anything to that can and those chips are not going anywhere. After being released in test and regional markets starting in 1968, Pringles officially came out nationally in 1975. I think when they first introduced Pringles, it was the tagline, it was a newfangled chip. Oh my goodness, potato chips. I can't believe it. It's true though, Pringles newfangled potato chips. How do you like them? I've never seen so many perfect looking chips. Beautiful, they even stack together. 
The chips were popular, but not quite dominating the industry, at least not yet. The Pringles didn't really take off that well for a long period of time. It seemed like from the time that they were released, it was about two decades before they really became that successful. The design, more than anything else, was what first made a splash. The container caught a lot of people's eyes, and once they started tasting them, they got used to them, and also they liked the fact that they were sturdy and they didn't break. Mireya Losa is Associate Professor of History and American Studies, Georgetown University. Before this, chips are always in a bag, and all of a sudden you're seeing chips sit upright, stacked up one on top of another, and they look supernatural, they look modern, they look futuristic. And these are all sort of themes of this post-war period, right? These fresh, new, bold products. But the chip industry was not happy about the new product. A prefabricated chip like a Pringle and the regular potato chip are not the same thing. And the potato chip manufacturers of traditional potato chips are up in arms that Procter & Gamble is allowed to refer to a Pringle as a potato chip. So they took action. The manufacturers of traditional potato chips form a coalition uh, to stop Pringles from using the word potato chip on their packaging. So they take their complaint to the FDA. For a while, it's decided that Pringles can call them potato chips as long as it says on the package that they are made from dried potatoes. But Pringles went in another direction entirely. And then ultimately they drop calling it even a potato chip and it's called a potato crisp. Potato, potato, chip, crisp. Consumers didn't seem to care. After a slow start, consumers got over the unfamiliarity of the newfangled potato snack. And Pringles started to become the go-to chip, especially after the company tweaked the flavor and gave the chip a makeover in 1980. A new ad campaign followed suit. Now Pringles are made different with a brand new deliciously deep fried flavor that makes them taste even better. And there's no preservatives, nothing artificial. By the late 1990s, Pringles was bringing in $1 billion a year. Today, Pringles are now available across the globe in over 140 countries. The Pringle was very successful. In 2012, Procter & Gamble sold it for $2.7 billion to Kellogg's. The quirky chip has since lifted the cereal juggernaut's sales. And that may be due to Pringle's many unique and international flavors like Peking duck, spicy guacamole, and piri-piri chicken. In the U.S. alone, there are 25 different flavors of Pringles. And the chip has had ripple effects in the food world to this day according to Edward Moon, chief instructor at the Culinary Institute of New York at Monroe College. Dehydration is one of the techniques that chefs do use today. They also introduced mathematics and in, in the shaping and the saddle shape of the chip. So again, using science and math and having it come together and join with cooking to solve a problem. Our food today has more in common with the Pringle than you might think, says Brian Simon, professor of history at Temple University. Our food is increasingly being developed in a lab rather than in a field or a kitchen. And the Pringle just invites you to think about that, right? I mean, nobody mistakes the Pringle for anything remotely natural. The iconic container has become a symbol of snack culture across the globe, as recognizable as a bottle of Coke or a Snickers bar. The design still draws attention, says chef and cookbook author Dennis Prescott. 
and you go down the chip aisle, nothing looks like Pringles. It is set apart. So your eye is drawn towards it. They capitalized on creating something incredibly unique. As for Fred Bauer, the inventor of the chip container, he passed away in 2008, 89 years old. And he had a dying request that was unusual. He asked to have his ashes buried in a Pringles container, a request his children honored. So I guess the adage is you can take it with you. If you like this podcast, then you'll love watching the Food That Built America TV series on the History Channel. Go to history.com to find out how you can watch The Food That Built America today. The Food That Built America is hosted by me, Jonathan Hirsch. At The History Channel, our executive producers are Jesse Katz, Mary Donahue, and Jim Pascarella. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn. From Neon Hum Media, our executive producer is me. The series is produced by Muna Danish and Kate Mishkin. Our associate producers are Chloe Chobel and Rufaro Faith. Our editor is Maura Waltz. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Sam Baer and Josh Hahn are our mix engineers. Music from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. And fact-checking by Naomi Barr. The Food That Built America was originally produced by Lucky 8 TV for the History Channel. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.